0: So we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, and as we possibly turn to Acts chapter 2, I want to mention something about prophecy. You know, prophecy in our day and age is a really big deal. Uh, You can find preachers online that are always predicting, always saying what's supposed to come. uh, Because people are eager to figure out what is going on. I think we all want to know and understand what's going on. Uh, People get curious about the Antichrist. People get curious about the mark of the beast. People get uh, curious about the rapture, and I sure hope that happens, and it happens soon. And people are curious about the second coming of Christ. And the Bible is full of prophecies that talk about those things. And if you want to talk about those things, I would encourage you to come talk to me about those. I would encourage you to to read your Bible and to find out about those. Because those are not the kind of prophecies we're going to be discussing today. And Acts chapter 2 is where we're at. We're going to be looking at three lesser well-known prophecies that are still pointing to the same truth. Jesus is coming back, and Jesus is coming back soon. I want to pray and ask God that he would help us to grasp this reality, and that he would change us and change our lives according to what he wants to speak to us today. Father God, this is your word, and God, this is your time. And God, I'm just your tool, I'm just your microphone, and I just pray that you would speak through me. God, you know the message that we need to hear. From your word, please help it to come out loud and clear. Whatever age we are, whatever place we're at in life, God, we need to hear from you, and I pray that that happens in the next half hour Please speak to me and give me your word In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be looking at three different prophecies that are related to the return of Christ. First, Peter is going to be talking about a prophecy that is ongoing that he's going to start with where they're at in Jerusalem at that point. Then he's going to go backwards and talk about a prophecy that has already been fulfilled in recent days. And then we're going to look at something that's supposed to be happening in the future. So we're going to start out where he is talking in Luke chapter 2, verses 16 through 20. Please note this. This is a prophecy in progress. Now, if you were here last week, uh, or if you are familiar with this passage of Scripture, uh, last week we talked about the Apostles were in Jerusalem, and they were sitting in an upstairs room, and they were praying, corporately and constantly, which we discussed the week before. And as they're sitting there praying, the Holy Spirit comes down like a tongue of fire and lands on each one of these disciples, and they are able to proclaim the Word of God in a tongue that they did not already know. That would be, like I speak English. I speak it very well. I maybe don't enunciate very well, but I understand to speak the language of English. That would be like me being all of a sudden able to speak French, or to speak German, or to speak Italian, whatever language you come up with. That's what it was like for the disciples of those days to be able to speak something that they did not already know. Well, some people heard that, the disciples sharing the wonders of God in their own language, and they got really excited. They got curious, how is this even possible? If you look at these Galileans, we know where they come from, how can they be speaking all these different languages? But there were those who, they were making fun of the disciples. They said, these guys have had too much wine. And this is where Peter preaches one of the greatest messages in all of history. Do you know how I know it's one of the greatest messages in all of history? Because verse 41 tells me that. It doesn't use those words, but it says, 3,000 people were added to their number that day. How many preachers do you know who has that written on their resume? I preach and 3,000 people <laughs> got saved. Right, that's not me, okay? That's what Peter preached. And this is the message we're going to be looking at today. What was it that Peter told these people that was so life-changing that caused them to, to be one of 3,000 people who says, I am no longer going to walk in the ways that I did. I am going to turn and follow Jesus three different prophecies the first is the one that's in progress that was related to what had just taken place in Acts chapter 2 verse 15 Peter comes to the defense of all the disciples he says these men are not drunk as you suppose it is only nine in the morning he says this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel this is something that was prophesied a long time ago and is starting to unfold right before your very eyes. It's beginning now, and it's never going to stop until it's completed. And he says, in the last days, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Obviously, that happened last week, when the disciples were given this ability to speak in tongues, that they didn't grow up speaking. They, they were able to just start talking, and a different language came out. And he says, this is for all people. We talked about this last week as well that the filling of the Holy Spirit is not just for the disciples. It's not just for the spiritual elites. It's not just for the pastors and the missionaries. This is something that God wants for you too. A.W. Tozer says the Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It's part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. Something that, that this pouring of the Holy Spirit is supposed to come upon all believers. And one sense, that you have it as a guarantee that you have eternal life, that you're not going to lose your salvation, but then the Holy Spirit wants to work through you to do something more. We looked last week a little bit at the fruit of the Spirit. He wants you to have love and joy and peace and patience. He, he gave you a spiritual gift. He wants to use that in your life. And this is what's going to take place starting at that point and is continuing. And he says that... Uh, If you look at that, it says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Prophesying is something that we think of naturally as foretelling future events. And that's some of what that that, uh, word means. But it also means to utter or declare something that was not already known. God is going to give people a message to say that is not prophetic, but it's something that is not exactly written in Scripture that He wants them to know. But it also means to teach, to refute, to comfort other people. And that is what prophecy also means. So that happens all the time. People give a word of encouragement. They give a word of truth from Scripture. And they say, I want you to, to hear these words of God. So that people are going to be prophesying in the last days. It says that people are going to be uh, having vision in the last days. In Acts chapter 9, we're going to get to this at some point in the future, Lord willing. A guy by the name of Ananias has a vision. Uh, Paul, who is first known as Saul, is on his way to Damascus to rip out all these Christians and yank them back to Jerusalem and throw them into jail. And Jesus and him have a little conversation. Jesus says to Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, And Saul says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Well, as he's on his way to the city, Ananias has a little conversation with God. It says in Damascus, verse 10, there was a, a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. That's the key word, a vision. And Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, and ask for a man by the, of Tarsus by the name of Saul. Where he is praying, and in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. There are other examples in the Bible of people having visions. These are all pointing to the fact that these are the last days. Peter's trying to alert these people that the time is getting shorter. And just for a second, I want you to consider. Over 2,000 years ago, it was the last days. Where do you think we are now? Are we still in the last days? Are we in the last hours? Are we in the last minutes before Jesus comes back? But he says people are going to prophesy. Check mark, that's happening. People are going to have visions. Check mark, that's happening. And he says that people will have dreams. Verse 17. The Old Testament, there was numerous people who had dreams uh, that helped them to determine which way to go and what to do. We looked at in Iwana a couple weeks ago about a guy by the name of Joseph. Who had a dream that he was going uh, to—he was the sun and the moon and the stars were all going to bow down to him. He had dreams that God used to help him to lead Egypt to rescue them out of the famine. God likes to speak to people in dreams. In the Bible, you have a guy by the name of Joseph who was supposed to marry Mary and said, "I don't want to do that. You're pregnant. That's not my kid." And God talked to him in a dream and said, "You know what? This is what you need to do." So he took Mary home as his wife. And then Joseph had numerous dreams of when to flee these specific places. But you get the idea. Prophecy, check. Uh, Visions, check. Dreams, check. Those are the kinds of things that are being fulfilled. They have been fulfilled. They're being fulfilled. And it's a prophecy that's in progress. But it's not a prophecy that's completed in, in verses 18 and 19. It says, in the last days, I will pour out my... I'm sorry, let me go back. A prophecy fulfilled. It says, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And I'm here to tell you, you do not want to see that. That might look like it would be something cool to see, but you do not want to be here. Because if you see this, that means you are going to hell. Because when this takes place is at the end of the tribulation. Uh, in Matthew chapter 24, verses uh, 29 to 31, you see the same thing being fulfilled. And it says, after these things, after the, the tribulation, the, the last three and a half years, the great tribulation, when all hell is breaking loose on earth, this is what's going to take place. That's why it's a prophecy in progress. All these things have been taking place. And in the future, this is going to happen. When is it going to happen? At the end of the tribulation. The the world's going to mourn. They're going to see Jesus slowly coming in the clouds. And they're all going to watch and they're all going to say, Oh no, what did I do? I ignored what people were saying. I ignored what scripture was saying. And now it is too late. It's a prophecy that is in progress. So Peter starts right there where he's at and hey, look guys, this isn't some fluke, this isn't some crazy thing. I want to show you from scripture, these kinds of things are going to take place. You guys just witnessed this. These things are going to continue happening. Then he says, okay, let's go backwards a little bit. I want to show you guys a prophecy that has already taken place. And it's something that in their day and age, it was only about 47 days ago that Jesus happened to go through this 50 days ago he died 47 days uh or I mean, three days later he rose again which gives us that 40 days 47 days ago that this was taking place pay attention to prophecy to a prophecy fulfilled acts chapter 2 verses 22 to 30 uh, to 32 the first part of what peter says in, in verse 22 He says, Men of Israel, listen to this, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. He was accredited, he was proven, he was shown to be true by the miracles and the signs and the wonders that he did. Jesus had been on earth for over three years doing all of these things. He was raising the dead, he was walking on water, he was feeding 5,000 people. The blind were made to see. The leprosy were being healed. Uh, If you read John chapter 21, verse 25, Jesus did so many miracles that it says uh, the whole world would not even have the room for the books that would be written. All these kinds of things that Jesus did were happening in that day, and those kinds of things do not go unnoted. Guess what happened when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law as one of the first miracles that he did? Do you think that was quiet? No, people started flocking to Jesus saying, Hey, I got somebody here who's sick. Here's somebody with a busted leg. Here's somebody with some kind of problem. Please, Jesus, kill him. So news about Jesus had spread everywhere. Everybody knows these are the kinds of things that Jesus did. These are the kinds of miracles that they did. And not size of, of crowd, I bet there were people who knew people who experienced miracles. Maybe even they themselves had experienced a miracle of Jesus. So that was one thing that Jesus did. He was proven by miracles. And this is what Peter is telling the people. Then he's going to get into the prophecy about this. The second thing, it says, Jesus was put to death. This man was handed over to you by God's purpose and foreknowledge, and you, by the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Just 50 days prior to this, Jesus was put to death on a cross. And there were, that, that kind of news doesn't sit quietly either. There's lots of people in Jerusalem. This man who was a good teacher, who did all these miracles, was being put to death on a cross. That's going to spread about as fast as any news possibly can. And I bet there were people in Jerusalem who witnessed that. They saw Jesus marching through the streets. They saw Jesus getting put on a cross. They saw him getting taken down and the dead body being carried away to be put into a tomb. These people saw that Jesus was put to death. This is prophecy that was fulfilled in the past. A guy by the name of Judas was the one who turned Jesus over to the, to, the, to the Jews and to the guards. They carried out this crime against Jesus, but it was ultimately Jesus was put to death on a cross and everybody knew it. Then we find that Jesus was raised from the dead. Acts chapter 2, verse 24, and verse 32. You can see it for yourselves. But God raised him from the dead, and God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to this fact. No doubt, among that bunch of people, there were people who had already heard that. Wait a second, I just saw this Jesus die, and now you're telling me he's alive again? After Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to over 500 people at one time. That's 500 witnesses are going to take that message and they're going to share it i'm sure people here have heard that rumor that this jesus who died is now alive again this is proof that yes these are the end days these this this time is coming jesus is going to come back again we find the prophecy about jesus dying and being raised again in acts chapter 2 verses 27 to 28 And if you want to look verified, it's in Psalms chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. So Acts 2, verses 25 to 28. This is the proof that Peter gives to the people about what he just said. David said this about him. I saw the Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your holy one see the You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And then he goes on to say, you know what? This isn't about David. David was a man who lived a long time ago. David was a man who died. He was put into the grave. His body is still there. This is referring to somebody else. This is referring to Jesus. When Jesus was put into the tomb, he did not stay there. What happened three days later? He rose again, right? The big rock was moved or he pushed it out of the way and he got up and he left. His body did not see the cave. He was not abandoned to the grave. David's body, whatever could be possibly left of it, is still there because this wasn't referring to David. This was referring to Jesus. This is ultimately referring to what we're going to look at next, that Jesus is coming back. We saw a prophecy in progress. They're witnessing it right before their very eyes. The Holy Spirit being poured out on people. He says that's happening because look what happened to Jesus who died on a cross. And he rose again. And now because we know those things are true, guess what is coming? A prophecy, again, that I call uh, a prophecy in progress or a prophecy that's in the future. Acts chapter 2, verses 33 to 36. Peter talks a little bit first and then he goes back into the prophecy. Verse 32 says, God raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of this fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. Jesus, he rose from the dead. People knew that he had risen from the dead. They knew he died, they knew he had risen from the dead, and now where's Jesus? Jesus is at the right hand of God. Now, he's not sitting there like... Okay, I'm just sitting here waiting, God, for you to hurry up and get this done. I mean, I'm, I'm sick of waiting for you to give me the rule and reign over the earth. You know, over all dominion. He's not bored just waiting for this to happen. There's a lot more going on. Because uh, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that he's just sitting here waiting, like literally at the right hand of God. It means that he has uh, equal position and power and honor and authority as he had before. He has the same freedom, the same power that he had when he was up with ruling in heaven with God and and while he's up there he's not just sitting there waiting Uh, in in first John chapter 2 verse 1 it says we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense Jesus is in heaven interceding for me I am a sinner I have sinned I have lied, I've stolen, I've cheated, I've thought many things, and He's interceding, saying, "I paid for what Josh has done." He's He's saying, "My blood covered that." So one thing that He's doing right now in heaven is interceding on our behalf for any believer in Jesus. He's saying, "I paid for those sins." Something else that He's doing that I think is one of the coolest things. It says in John's uh, chapter 14, verses two through three, He told His disciples, "And if I go uh, up to heaven after I." In my Father's house in many rooms, if it were not so I would have told you. And if I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you. So Jesus is up in heaven. He's preparing a place for you. So that when you die, you have a place to be. That's pretty cool. Jesus has got his tool belt on. He's got his hammer. He's got his nails. He's doing whatever it takes up in heaven for him to create a place for me. He's not sitting here idly waiting for his turn. He's busy. He's doing things. When people are coming up to paradise. He's welcoming them. We, we'll find later uh, in a couple of weeks when Stephen was, was getting stoned. He's looking up to heaven and he sees Jesus and says, Hey, receive my spirit. That's what he's doing. He's got the same power, the same rule, the same authority that he had before. He just gets to experience that once again. This prophecy, uh, uh, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstep for your feet. It's found in Psalms 110. So in one sense, he is already up in heaven. He has the rule and the reign and the power and authority that he had before, but his enemies aren't officially put at, under his feet. That is going to take place when he comes back in the clouds and he rules over creation for all eternity. His enemies are eventually going to be put under his foot. You know, in the ancient days, when they were going to defeat their enemies, they stick their neck, their foot on their neck, and that person is not going anywhere. I have my spear, I have my sword, I have whatever it takes, and it's a picture that, of victory. Oh, and that's the kind of picture that Peter is that, or that presenting that Jesus is going to have. He's going to have victory over his enemies. And you might say, no way, that's not me. But let me tell you, Philippians 2, chapter 10 says, one day, every knee is going to bow. One day, every tongue is going to confess. I don't care who. You I don't care if it's Adolf Hitler. I don't care if it's your worst enemy. I don't care if it's somebody who he's, his neck is going to be forced down there. But it says that every knee is going to bow, like it or not, and your tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is ultimately going to have his victory whether anybody likes it or not. And today we're being encouraged to happily bow our knee before Jesus, to happily and willingly confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not to be forced down, but to willingly do that because we have surrendered our life to Jesus, we have trusted Him for salvation, and we have eternal life. Three different prophecies. One that's in the progress of being fulfilled. We, we, we see these things. One that, was, that happened in the past that proved what is going to come. What is the response to all this? I want you to notice the response of the people. Verse 37 to 39, it says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. It hurt them. They were sad, they were grieved because they understood that it was their sin that put Jesus on the cross. They knew that they were guilty. They knew instinctively through the Holy Spirit, they knew that they were that person. They knew that they needed Jesus, and they were heartbroken, just like what our sin should do to us, it should break our hearts, because we deserve what we're not going to get what we deserve if we put our trust in Jesus. I deserve eternity in hell. And that's what these people felt. But they didn't leave feeling sad and defeated. They said, okay, we're going to be proactive about this. They said, what are we going to do about this? Please tell me. Please let me know. What do I do? I don't want what I deserve. I want what I don't deserve. I want that grace. And Peter told them. He says, look, this is what you need to do. He says, you need to repent. He said when, uh, the idea of repenting is that I'm going one way, and even the kid could understand this, right? I'm going one way, repent means I'm going the other way. And what Peter's saying is you turn from your sin, and you are turning to Jesus. And that's exactly what these people are doing. It's not just, I'm going to try to be good and stop doing things wrong. I'm saying no to my sin, and I'm saying yes to Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 21 says, Everyone who calls, on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Anybody who does that, the five-year-old kid that went downstairs, or the the 95-year-old person who might be listening to this on the the YouTube video, whoever puts their faith in Jesus for salvation, God will give it to them. And the second thing he says is to be baptized. All baptism is, because it doesn't save you, all it is is a public declaration of an inward change. And it shouldn't be that hard. I, I died to myself, and I'm going to live for Jesus. Every, um, most every believer has done that. It says here that 3,000 people did that. They're willing to say, you know what? I'm not trusting myself to get me to heaven anymore. I'm showing everybody else, everybody who's looking, that I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. We've got baptisms here. Brave people, not me, do it at the lake. Right? They'll go out there in the mud, in the muck, and they'll be baptized. It's a very common practice that God has asked that we do to publicly show people that we have this faith. So in the last days, there's prophesying, there's dreams, there's visions, there's the filling of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. There's the prophecy number two that was in the past. Jesus died and he rose again. Now this, uh, this, uh, this prophecy, you know, Peter does something that is not doesn't make a preacher a very likable guy. Uh, twice he does this when he's talking about this, verse twenty-three and thirty-six. He's he's preaching, okay? He's preaching at the people, and he says, "This man, meaning Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put this man to death by nailing him to a cross. You did this." Verse 36, he says the same thing. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Lord Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You know, um, Peter was pointing his finger at everybody and saying it was your fault. You put Jesus up bar on the cross. And those are tough words to hear. But you know what? If I was there, Guess who Peter would be pointing at? He would be pointing at me. And Peter would be right. I wasn't, I wasn't there 2,000 years ago holding Jesus' arm down and cramming and nailing to him and pinning him to the cross and making him stand up and fall into the hole. I wasn't there doing that. But it was my sin that put him there. It was my lies, my lust, my outburst of anger, my theft, my wickedness. My evil thoughts that put Jesus on the cross. And if, Peter, if you were there, I hate to say it, but Peter would be pointing at you too. Because Romans 3.23 says, We have all sinned. Every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The perfect standard that God says we've got to live if we're going to get to heaven. We have all missed that point. And then prophecy number three, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, and one day He is going to rule and reign over all creation. One day every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So what? So what? What is your response going to be? You know, some people might say, uh, this is a yonder. I hope this pastor heard." Preacher hurries up and shuts up. I have Super Bowl plans to finish up, right? We all know it's in Super Bowl today. We made predictions in there. I'm the only guy who picked the Buccaneers. We made predictions in there. And you might be saying, I can't wait till this is done. We're stopping at the store. We're getting goodies. We've got this big party plan. I hope that's not you. Some of you, your heart might be pounding in your chest right now because you know that you need Jesus. And what are you going to do about it? Peter says, repent, turn from your sins, and turn to Jesus. And he says, be baptized, make a public declaration of that faith. Verse 21, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That refers to you too. If you turn to Jesus for salvation, you will gain eternal life. We all need to do that because we have all sinned. And the wages of sin is death. That means we deserve eternity in hell. Forever. But God says, I love that guy. Josh. Even though he screws up all the time, I love him. And I love people everywhere. And so I'm going to make it happen. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners. When we said, I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with church. I don't care about anything right or wrong. God says, I'm going to pay for those people's sins. Because he loved us. And Romans 10 9 says, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. You don't have to get your life cleaned up first. You don't have to go to church first. You don't have to try to do all sorts of good things first. Come just as you are to Jesus, and He will give you eternal life. So we have the yawner, the person ready for the Super Bowl. We have the heart pounder. And we have the person who's sitting there that has peace. And that's me. I have peace because I have already put my faith in Jesus. He could come back right now and I'm ready to go. Because all I needed was Jesus. I don't need anything else. And I'm going to have eternal life. I'm going to have hope for all eternity. Because I have trusted Jesus. So you're going to fit in one of those three categories. And if you have the peace like I have the peace, I'm glad that you have the peace. But I would encourage you to do the same two things that I need to do. And I still, I still struggle, I still try to do. One is to repent of the sin that's in my life. We talked about last week, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I can't be walking in sin. I've got to get rid of all that sin in my life. I've got to pursue, set my mind on things above that the Holy Spirit would be happy with. Reading God's Word, praying, fellowship with other believers. Uh, doing what it is that God asked me to do in His Word. And the second thing that I would encourage you to do if you have that peace inside of you that passes all understanding because you have put your faith in Jesus is to find a way to share that with other people. I would encourage you to invite people to church. Invite kids to will want to pray for people. Do something that gets that gospel out in the lives of other people. Prophecy is a big deal and it's just going to become a bigger and bigger deal. That the more a world goes down the tank, there's more, the more there's storms, there's rumors of wars, and there's, they're all birthing pains. They're going to get worse. They're going to get closer and closer together. The more people are going to be concerned about what is coming. And I want to encourage you to pay attention to the prophecy that you have right here, right in front of you, that, that uh, Peter has laid out very well for us. You have a choice to make. Every day you have a choice to make. But I don't want you to leave today until you make a choice that I'm going to put my trust in Jesus for salvation or that I already have and I'm going to live for Him. We're going to close after I pray with amazing grace. And I'm I'm not going to uh, try to embarrass anybody. Um, I'm going to go stand in the back just like I always do. And I would encourage you, if you have questions, let's have a conversation. During the week, call me, text me, email me. But don't, even if you don't tell me, please do not leave this room until you have made things right with Jesus. Just admit to him, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I'm trusting you, Jesus, to get me to heaven. It's your choice to make. Please pay attention to the prophecy that you just heard, because your, your eternity depends on it. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you are 100% accurate on what your prophecy says. That, that people were able to prophesy and have visions and have dreams. God, that Jesus died and rose again like it was prophesied. And we can look to the future and know that one day you're coming back. And you are going to rule and reign for all eternity. God, I don't know how people are feeling here. I, I, don't, I can't get inside of them, but I know that you know. You know the people who could care less about what they just heard or have no intention of doing anything with you. God, you're you are capable of still getting inside of them and working on them. And I pray that you do so that during this week, God, they surrender their life to you. God, you know the heart pounders. God, the people who are sitting there saying, is he talking to me? And let them, God, not leave today until they have said, okay, I surrender. I'm going to trust you as my Savior. And God, you know which ones of us have peace, the passive understanding. If you could come right now, we wouldn't even care because we have the hope of eternal life. God, please help us to be filled with your spirit. God, please help us to share your word with others. In Jesus' name.